Everybody and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by USCFootball.com. I'm your host, Kiliora, joined by Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Spratling. As promised, this is a special tunnel edition. Tunnel edition? Tunnel vision edition. <laughs> Tongue twister. That shows you how long today's been. We have two things to cover today. One, USC's early signing day. USC added two, 20 new Trojans to the Trojan family. And we got a preview of championship game. That's still happening, guys. Don't forget. <laughs> a lot to cover today, and we'll get to it. And we also have a special guest. The one, the only, Gerard Martinez will be joining us via phone in a couple minutes. So make sure you stay tuned to that. He's the guy to talk to when it comes to recruiting. Uh, so like I said, we'll be previewing the championship game, early signing day. And we'll talk about a little bit about the Pac-12 and the mismanagement. There's been some drama. You know, it's Pac-12. What what else is new? Uh, you can also call us 5124-TUNNEL. We love talking to you guys. You can also tweet at us, hashtag TunnelVision. Put your tweet up on the screen. And wherever you are watching, I believe we're live on all three platforms, YouTube, Periscope, and Facebook. Put your comments, your questions, your concerns. We love hearing from you guys. And if your question is good, we'll read it on the show. So make sure you ask some good questions. Guys. A mouthful, a lot to get through today. First off, let's start with the early signing period started today. Ryan, it's a much different tone today. USC's not having historically bad uh, classes today. Yeah, last if you guys remember last year, the class of 2020, the worst we'd ever seen in the internet era, probably at any era, was last in the Pac-12, 64th. Overall, keep in mind, there's only 65 Power 5 teams. So there's just, you know, there wasn't very good as far as where the recruiting classes go. But, man, we've been all over this one. Uh, you know, 19 high school signees. There was one transfer defensive lineman from uh, Alabama. But 19 new guys. There's still some big fish in the sea that Clay Helton liked to say, liked to say uh, earlier today. We got to talk to him at noon. There's just been so many things that have been going on all day. And if you followed along... We've been keeping up with every single signee. Had stories up about all of them. There's videos up of guys. Make sure you check it out. Keely counted today. We 28 stories produced by us. And plus, we've had a bunch of network stories going up on the front page of uscfootball.com. So make sure you check that out. And we only have a few hours left, but a couple hours left. Sign up right now. Go to uscfootball.com right now. 60% off your annual subscription. It's only two hours left. So go do it. If you're not a VIP member, it's pretty cheap to do. It's a few bucks a month. Just go do that. It's pretty awesome. You'll get in there and you have a day like today where there's 28 new stories just going up from us. But for you, for Clay Helton and USC, they needed to bounce back. There's been such a reinvestment into or investment into the recruiting budget as far as the video department. We saw that Boulevard Studios. They were doing you know videos of every recruit. The recruits seem to really like that kind of stuff. There's more bodies in there in the war room helping out. Uh, especially because we're still going to talk about the championship game. It's less than 48 hours away that they got to prepare for. And, you know, bringing in better recruiters. You got guys like Dante Williams and Craig Nivar that are just better recruiters than the guys that they had in those positions before. And that makes a big difference. So 
I think the whole USC recruiting machine got better from last year to this year. And now you see it, the a class that's ranked, I believe, number 11, the last I uh, checked, 11 mm -hmm. in the country, number two in the Pac-12 behind Oregon. And Oregon's got, this is their best recruiting class they've ever signed. So it's kind of different than what USC did last year. But they needed this. They needed to get a, a jump up. You can't be at the bottom of the Pac-12. That was just ridiculous. So, you know, big moves today, I think, from USC. It can still get a little bit better, obviously, with uh, some of the big fish that are out there. But for right now, you know, this is this is the class they needed. They needed to get a bunch of good bodies, a whole bunch of four-star guys, not a whole bunch of three-star guys. You get some, but you wanted to be mostly dependent on these four-star guys, and that's really what they were. Mm -hmm. I just checked. USC is actually 13 now. Oh, they dropped a little. Okay. Dropped a little, yes. Uh, Shotgun, USC picked up another quarterback today. So they have two quarterbacks in this class. What are you looking at when you see Miller Moss and Jackson Dart? I mean, it's a huge commitment for USC just because of the concern that they could go into next year and again be down to two scholarships. Obviously, everyone will get an extra year of eligibility if they so choose to keep that extra year. And does the school allow them to have that extra year? Matt Fink being a redshirt senior, does he want to come back for a sixth year as a, as a backup? That's a, you know, that's a, not a necessarily a, a position that many people want to necessarily be in. So we'll see what he decides to do after this year. Or maybe he looks and see, looks into the transfer portal, sees if he can find an opportunity where he would get to play. There's a lot of potential, uh, changes there for USC. So getting an extra quarterback was huge after Jake Garcia's decommitment recently. He signs with Miami today. But getting Jackson Dart, a guy who's just been has exploded on the scene, and Greg Biggins has said today uh, a couple times that he's you know the the biggest jump from junior year to senior year that he's seen in a quarterback you know possibly ever at least in the last ten years or so for him. So uh, you know Dart went from you know running for like hundred yards to running for over a thousand and you know like twelve touchdowns. He threw for sixty seven touchdowns. To four interceptions. That's a pretty good rate there. You know, throwing for over 60% of it, you know, 63 or 64% of his passes completed as well. You know, so he, he likes the offense at USC. He and Miller Moss actually know each other. They train with the same quarterback coach, Taylor Kelly, out here in LA. So, you know, they, they know each other and they're friendly. Uh, so it, it'll be a fun competition. And, you know, you never know how things are going to shake out. Someone gets injured, they could be pushed back to the next class, those type of things. So, you know, a lot of times when you see two highly rated quarterbacks in the same class, you go, oh no, somebody's going to transfer. But let's see how it plays out, see how it goes. They'll be competing for that backup spot behind Keaton Slovis with Matt Fink if he's here, but then also be competing to take over that spot after Slovis is gone. What does Dart's mobility bring to the table as uh, for USC's offense? Is that is that a special key for him? I think just in this offense, you've seen the air raid offense. When you have a quarterback, then if things break down, can either extend plays a little bit longer or just create on his own, like a Kyler Murray, like a Baker Mayfield, those they just take the offense that extra little step. It just it makes it that much more difficult for the defense. They're worrying about so many different things. You know, it just adds an extra thing that if you're a thrower first and then you can add that element, and that's what you, you're looking at with, with Dart, where he can run a little bit if you need him to. And Miller Moss, you know, he, he told me that uh, previously that the, he's been, I asked him kind of what he was doing this offseason recently. He said, you know, I've been doing a thing I hate most, speed training. He's like, I hate, you know, I hate doing things I'm not great at. So he's been really working hard on the speed training and it may not make him a, you know, a four or five runner or anything, but he wants to just be able to, you know, evade one other defender on a play, you know, whether it's keeping, you know, rolling out and being able to get away from a guy to keep a play alive, those type of things. So, you know, both of those guys have a little bit of mobility there. You know, Miller Moss, one of the things I really like about him is his pocket presence. 
you know, something that JT Daniels was showing a really good job of his sophomore year at USC and what Keaton Slovis does really well. Just being able to know where that, that extra rusher is coming from, move around a little bit. So we'll see how much of Dart, what, what Dart has in that category as well. That's something that I haven't got a chance to really dig into uh, necessarily yet. Mm-hmm. Great quarterback name as well, Dart. Dart yeah, throws definitely. a dart. Uh, Ryan, yep. USC reloaded in the secondary. Five defensive backs. What have you seen from those guys? Yeah, I mean, I think this was an area that you had to uh, get better. And we've seen USC recruit really well uh, from the receiver point of view. And I think in the secondary, you get, you know, you look at the, the Talano Fungas, Isaiah Polamaus, um, you know, Elijah Griffins. I mean, they've had a lot of like highly ranked defensive backs in, the, you know, in this class. And I think what you're doing here, you bring in guys like Nivar and, and, um, and Dante Williams. And what do they do? They recruit their <laughs> they recruit their position really well. You remember who was like a great recruiter for USC back in the, you know a few years ago? Who was it? T. Martin. What do you think they get a lot of great receivers? They did. I mean, it helps. I think those guys you know, they're building out you know they're helping build out the rest of the class, but they're going to recruit their position well. And um, you know you get like an Anthony Beavers, a former you know Oregon commit uh, coming in, Prophet Brown. I mean, they got some highly ranked guys that are Southern California guys. There's some athletes and there, you know, some, we'll see if they move some guys around. You got some safety, some corners, things like that. But I feel like what they've done is got the, you know, some of the best names in the area. Some guys that maybe weren't really on the USC train early on. And then they, you know, they switch them over and bring them in, but they, because they bring in these dynamic recruiters, now it helps like a Dante Williams was recruiting these guys already. Cause he was at Oregon. Uh, but for a guy like Craig Navar, you're coming in fresh. And so, you know, it's kind of working in team, you know, in you know, teamwork with the rest of your coaches there. But I, I like what they've done out. They needed a bunch of defensive backs in this class, and the guys they signed, uh, you know, they all look really good to me. Yeah, Shotgun, I know you're excited to see them play. Who's standing out to you specifically? I mean, I, I really love Jalen Smith. You know, he's such an athletic and, and dynamic player. You can line him up in different positions. He's going to play nickel for USC. He's the number one athlete on the West Coast. Uh, they're going to start him at nickel, but he can play safety. He can play cornerback as well. I love that about him. I love the versatility also of Zamarian Gordon. You know, he's a guy that if you watch his highlights, he's a bully. You know, and, and that and that's a positive thing. And he's only 6'2 and like 180, 190. So he's got some room to add a little bit of weight on as well. But he already just attacks people and just, you know, just throws people on the ground, you know, is, is able to stand over people. And then a guy like Kalen Bullock brings that in, in that edge to the position as well. I just, I like, really like that group. And Prophet Brown's a guy who hasn't played a ton of cornerback, switching over from the offensive side, but they're really high on him as well. Um, you know, you look at that class and it, it's very deep. This is a much different deep defensive back class than the one we saw, was it two or three years ago? Whereas a lot of guys that you know, were reaching for at the end and adding, and it was a really big class, but not necessarily, you know, high end talent. This one has a lot of high end talent too. So we'll see if, if some of those guys come in and, and jump up the depth chart really quickly and displace some of those guys that are going to be on, on campus for their third or fourth year now. Now, Ryan, I asked Shock on this on instant analysis, but as far as we know, Obviously, I have to put the caveat that recruiting is wonky. Anything can happen. But as far as we know, Corey Foreman has actually signed. So there's a school out there that is sitting pretty and very happy behind the scenes that they got Corey Foreman. Isn't that an interesting dynamic there? It definitely is. We've seen this happen uh, before, for sure. And guys, Simi Talanohufunga did that. He had signed. And you know, we covered him at the... Um, the uh, Polynesian Bowl in Hawaii, he had already signed, you know, but wasn't announcing. And uh, so there, you know, there were some family things and stuff going on, but there's different guys. I think Chris Steele was one of them. Um, we've seen this happen before. When they, you got the number one player in the country, how do you keep that quiet? Because you know, 
Yeah. We, you know, like we had an idea that USC was going to sign Jackson Dart. We, you know, you had an idea that, you know, Manjack was going to sign, you know, so you have these pre-writes, you got everything ready. USC had all those videos ready, right? Like you have all these pre-production things going on. Now you don't need that for this, but to keep something like that quiet, that the number one player is going to sign, I mean, what do you only tell the head coach? And like, he's not going to tell anybody else. Cause if you tell, like if all the assistants know, I mean, is someone's wife going to know? Is it going to, you know, it's like, how's it, you know, how's that going <laughs> to trickles out? Yeah. Like it, I think it makes it really difficult. We, the good thing, you know, for our industry, we, you know, we have to work with these kids every year, not the same ones, but you have a reputation. So if, you know, Greg Biggins or shotgun or Gerard or whoever from our, you know, 24 seven sports network, Chris Trevino, any of us, if we call a kid and like do a pre-write on their commitment and then break it before they put out their video or their tweet or whatever it is, that's not cool. I mean, you want to have these kids have their moment. We'll just have our story ready when they make things official. And that's kind of common. This takes it to another level where you're actually signing with a school. So it becomes official where the schools can actually talk about the kids. So uh, yeah, we won't know for a while for when he announces, but I mean, is something going to break? We've seen like commitment videos where they have like multiple uh, endings. So you'd like, oh, we saw the ending. The kid picked Texas. Like, well, he didn't, but he made like three videos and like the one, <laughs> you know, they picked Texas is in there. So yeah, this is just another bizarre thing, you know, but he's uh, obviously the biggest fish in the sea. He's the number one player in the country and USC uh, would, it would be a nice boost to the class if they're able to sign him. And, and Tommy Trojan asked, what's the purpose of keeping it quiet? Because you don't want to steal the kid's moment, a lot of times what it is is they're signing on this day to lock themselves in during this period. It's a three-day period that recruits can sign, and then they can't sign again until February. Um, so, you know, that, that time in between, that means every school can, you know, still call them and everything. You want to, if you're a coach, you want to get that name on the dotted line because you never know what's going to happen in that, you know, that month and a half, two months before they sign again, uh, the signing period opens up again. So what's the person keeping quiet? Allowing the player to still have their moment at one of those All-American Bowls is usually when they're announcing. That's what all these kids that we've talked about with the Brew McCoy and Talanoa and uh, Gary Bryant, all these guys that had signed already but didn't announce it until um, till that point. And also, you want to keep it quiet because all eyes are on that announcement. So that gives you that extra boost, you know, just national attention of, oh, wow, Corey Foreman is going to USC or Brew McCoy is going to USC, that type of thing. So you don't want to steal the kid's moment one, but it also gives you a big boost because if you remember a couple years ago, uh, when Kyle Ford and Brew McCoy committed to USC uh, at the Army All-American Bowl, it was like, oh, wow, USC had a really big day today. Well, they, they already had those signatures, so it wasn't necessarily, but it just gives you an extra opportunity to build some momentum as you start working on the next recruiting class as well. So you don't want to steal the kid's moment. You want to add some momentum. And if you're the number one kid in the country, then you have some, some cachet and some sway to say, hey, if you break your promise that you're not going to say anything, then I'm going to try to get out of this. And, you know, you may be able to do that. We've seen, you know, some, some kids to be able to get out of their NLIs and go to another school. So you don't want to, you know, break a promise to the kid on the first day that he's officially a member of your program either. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Helton mentioned big fish, obviously. There are other fish swimming in the sea. Shotgun, who else are they going for? Yeah, you're looking at not only Corey Foreman, but you're also looking at Sierra Wright, the, the cornerback from Loyola. He's down to USC, Michigan, Stanford. A couple of other schools are in the mix. He's also going to announce on January 2nd at that Army All-American. It's not the 
it's not a bowl game anymore, but the All-American Announcement Show, I think is what they're calling yeah. it, because there's no game, unfortunately, because of COVID and everything. But both of those guys will be announcing then. Uh, USC got some good news in the last couple of days that LSU commit linebacker Rajon Davis is not going to sign during the early period. So he's going to wait till February. That's a positive thing for USC because they aren't the leader right now. They aren't the team that leads that has the commitment. So it being backed up, that gives them two more months to really go full full fledged, you know, full bore attacking him with their recruiting pitch and saying, "Hey, we really need you here." And look at how bad LSU is playing this year, type of thing. But also, they got good news on JT Tuimoloau, the the defensive tackle from Seattle. He also is going to wait till February. He released a top five today. And USC is in that mix. Now, USC is not his leader either. Uh, Ohio State is the perceived leader there. But again, it's a positive thing for USC that he's not going to sign until till February because they aren't the leader at this point. So they have a chance to make up some ground. So four really big uh, potential players that USC could still add to this class. Mm-hmm. All righty. As promised, we have the one and only. We got him. We got him. <laughs> I'm screaming over here. Gerard Martinez. Hello, you're on the line, Gerard. Hello, everyone. <laughs> I was like, can he work the phone? I hopefully can work the phone. <laughs> How's it going, Gerard? I know today is a busy day for you. How has it been? Uh, it's been good. Um, not too many big surprises. I think we've seen that through the last few years. Uh, we haven't necessarily seen a lot of big surprises. Last year, obviously, there weren't necessarily huge surprises, but there were some letdowns, and it was good this year that USC was able to sign the core of their class, and obviously they still got some big fish out there that uh, they have to get committed, uh, at least publicly, because chances are we might have some signatures. We might not. We're not going to know that until January 2nd on NBC Live, so we wait and see what this class really looks like from top to bottom, but today was a good day you know, with 19 commits. And 19 signings, I think it was a big deal for USC to get a majority of those verbal commitments signed, and they're going to end up having 11 of those guys that are signed today, mid-year graduates. So that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. And Gerard, you've seen USC's recruiting classes, obviously, throughout the years. What's been the difference this year rather than uh, last year? What I know Athletic Director uh, Mike Bone talked about beefing up support staff, recruiting resources. Was that the difference? What, What is the difference actually this year? The difference was Dante Williams setting the bar as an assistant coach and going out and protecting his position with five four-star recruits signed at the defensive back position. I think that in itself sort of set the bar for the rest of the staff and that energy and that aggressiveness. And like you said, the support staff is really big. We've seen that arms race in college football really for the last seven to eight years, and USC was way, way behind on that. Uh, last year, the year before, they had three support staff guys working on recruiting. Two of them ended up being out in the road because USC had some coaching changes. So you had Eric Ziskin and Gavin Morris, both support staff members. They had to be put on the full-time assistant coaching staff in order to go out and help recruit. And so we saw a big difference with this year. Obviously, it's a big difference in terms of the uniqueness of the COVID pandemic recruiting shutdown. So you don't have official visits. We didn't have camps. And that really, I think, hamstrung USC to some extent because nationally, when you want to recruit, you're going to try to bring those kids in if you're USC late in the process during December. And if you look outside, 
it's 75 degrees, it's sunny. USC does a lot of work out of state in December and January, and they weren't able to do that because of the lack of official visits. So there were some guys that they were able to find still, even though they didn't have those official visits and they didn't have in-home visits, like Michael Trigg. And you and I talked about this the other day, Keely, in our uh, superlatives video, just about how difficult and how much that was a hurdle to be able to sign a player like that, a really quality player at tight end, 6'4", 230 pounds, gives you a little bit of flashbacks of Tampa, Mike Williams at USC. That's pretty hard to do to go across the country and bring a guy in when you can't even meet with that kid on campus with his family when he spends his own money to come out on an unofficial visit. Hey, Gerard, uh, you know, the class of 2020 we talked about earlier obviously fell short of expectations at last of the Pac-12. What sort of when, you know, shortfall that they had in that class that they kind of filled in this class that they had to uh, get better at that they, they weren't able to get in uh, the class of 2020? Well, I think with 2020, USC really put their eggs in the baskets of a handful of the top players. And it was going to be a small class. They had basically 17 rides in 2020. I think they only end up signing 14 in that class. But it really came down to the Justin Flo, Bryce Young, Michael Drennan, there was like three or four guys down the stretch that they decided we're not going to go after plan B's. We're not going to go after plan C's. We're going to go after those players and those players alone. And that's going to make or break our class. And it broke the class because they really signed none of those guys down the line. So with this class, it was obviously, again, we look at January 2nd and we look at Corey Foreman. That's going to be a big deal because the whole moniker, the whole cry, the credo of this class coming first and foremost from Dante Williams is take back the West. And you can't take back the West really unless you're signing the number one player in the state. And USC has not done that the last two years. And this would be three years running where they don't sign the number one player in the state. So we still have yet to see if they're going to be able to do that with Corey Foreman. That's ultimately going to be what people look at with this class. You know, are they able to find the number one player in the state? Are they able to at least get to some point where they can say, okay, we are in the process of taking back the West, quote-unquote? Because if you don't do that, then there's going to be a lot of cynicism there, and I don't know if perception-wise the fan base in college football in general is going to feel like USC is actually making progress on that front. Outside of that, I think it's a very good class. It's balanced. I think the one thing that USC didn't do is they didn't get a franchise left tackle. And I know they were really hard after Kingsley Suomatia, who ended up signing with Oregon, a guy that we thought was going to end up signing with Oregon. That was really the biggest miss in terms of doing what they didn't do last year, being able to fill something, a void basically in the class from a position need standpoint that they weren't able to get last year. They signed six offensive linemen last year. Perhaps there's some development there and they find a player who ends up being a left tackle, a guy like maybe Casey Collier. But getting that guy right out of the gates, out of high school, that's that four, high four-star, you know, borderline five-star offensive tackle, they didn't really do that. So I think that was sort of lingering. And if you listen to the USC fan base and maybe what they really missed in this class and they felt like they really wanted to get coming into the class, coming into the cycle, everybody looked at that offensive line and they wanted to see some big-time offensive linemen. USC only actually signs three offensive linemen in this class. And it was interesting because I think they really set out four or five, but I don't know if the quality bodies are there. So we're going to have to see going forward if maybe a guy like uh, Austin Ook, who from Dallas, 6'4", 285 pounds, a kid that was originally committed to Holy Cross and then ends up getting a bunch of scholarship offers. People were laughing. People were making jokes 
because USC offered him early when he was committed to Holy Cross. And obviously, you hear that and you go, USC's recruiting a kid that's committed to Holy Cross. Like, how, how, how low can you go? Like, that's pretty low-hanging fruit. But in reality, he turned around, he got offers from Stanford, Florida State, Penn State. So he's actually one of those kids that used his senior year, like Jackson Bart, to be able to you know, take the bull by the horns and get his to film out there and become one of the best senior prospects out there. And we see a lot of this with these schools. They get the best sophomore prospects. They get the best junior prospects. But are you getting the best seniors? Are you getting the best high school football players as they're actually graduating from high school? And I think with Jackson Dart, that's a big deal when you have that discussion about him and the other guys that, you know, USC is recruiting with obviously – Jack Gar- or Jake Garcia, there's going to be that comparison as to what USC got and what they traded. You know, Jake Garcia was a guy that committed to USC a year ago. Jackson Dart, we we know what we're getting with him because he is transitioning right from that uh, that senior year where he had 4,700 yards, uh, 67 touchdowns, ran for 1,200 yards, and had another dozen touchdowns, 70, 70% completion rate. That's pretty insane. So you know you're getting that guy. That's the guy that you're getting and you're hoping is going to be there for spring ball and rolls right in and transitions right away into your depth chart. Whereas you get a guy that's maybe was really good as a sophomore You've got two years from that point where he was committed, and you start to look and say, well, is he, is he that player? Did he get better? You know, sometimes you make that investment at the quarterback position, and you don't get a player that's actually progressed and gotten better. And by the time he's a senior, maybe he's not a highly ranked four-star guy like he was initially. Well done, Gerard. I think that was like five straight minutes. I always make fun of Shotgun for going on, but you, you put oh, him to shame. Gerard takes a cake on those. I know. Um, now sh- – I was going to say another thing, another area where if USC doesn't go and get Austin Uke, they could look in the transfer portal. That could be something where they leave a couple scholarships open. Um, Gerard, how are you kind of seeing how that will play out with you know some of the guys are still going after versus saving some spots to go in the transfer portal? Since obviously there's as many people in the transfer portal this year as there's ever been. Did we lose Gerard? I don't think. Oh, I'm so. here. I can't hear Shotgun at all, though. Oh, okay. <laughs> if Shotgun was talking to me, I didn't get that. Oh, sorry. Weird. I wonder why you can't hear him. Yeah, he was wondering about the, the transfer portal. What does that look like? This oh. Obviously, it's very packed right now. Yeah, that that is going to become a big part of the strategy. And a lot of times we get questions from USC fans during the process and during the cycle. Why isn't USC going after more JUCO players? Why aren't they going after more junior college players? Because obviously there's a plug-and-play element to being able to bring in a mature man at that point you know we're not talking about high school kids we're talking about a player that's been out of high school for two years and when you're talking about linemen specifically that's such a big deal because it's tough to get high school kids to plug them in right away when they're playing against 20 year olds but when you're getting a guy that's two years out of high school there's a lot easier transition for that player to be able to come in and maybe contribute right away that's really what the porthole has become for usc because (laughs) with the junior college players there's always a lot of issues academically we That's love a big problem. We love and the. So, sorry, Jared. Keep going. But you call it the porthole. It's oh, not the portal. That Jared's always done that. It's the porthole, not the port portal. Hole. Yeah. <laughs> it's the porthole. Uh, but but with with those those players that are able to transition from other colleges, you know that academically that's not going to be a huge issue. They've already taken a college courses and they've already had that class load. And 
unless they're actually leaving that school because of academics, which is usually not the case, you're going to not have to worry about that. That's pretty much not an issue for you. So I think that's what USC has done transition-wise. Obviously, you have to consider that some of those players might have to sit out. But if you can get them and they're immediately eligible, and we've seen more and more of that anymore, that you know the eligibility thing, very few of these players are having to sit out anymore. They just threaten a lawsuit, and boom, next thing you know, they're playing that year. That's going to be one of the, I think, situations for USC where strategy-wise, you go in to the portal and you don't necessarily have to worry about uh, a, a quick loss. You, know, you can replace a guy like Marlon Tui-Polotu. I mean, that's a great example where you bring in Ishmael, uh, Sopcher, who comes in from Alabama, you know, obviously there's questions with him because of the work ethic and the things that went on with Alabama. A lot of my sources were saying, you know, he's got a ton of talent, but he got discouraged real easy because at a school like Alabama, you've got three or four of him. <laughs> you know, they grow on trees down there in the South where you've got 330 pound defensive tackles that are four stars in high school and go to Alabama. And if he can get his foot in the door and sort of get traction, a lot of my sources said he's a big guy got a lot of talent, got a lot of natural pass rush ability, and that is a, an immediate replacement potentially for Marlon Tui-Polotu if Marlon Tui-Polotu decides to go and enter the NFL draft. You've got Jay Toya there, big get there as well, 6'1", 6'2", 320 pounds. He's going to be a big-time big get for USC down the line because those guys are really hard to find on the West Coast. But that takes time to develop him to where he's got that old man strength where he can actually – you know, step up and, and go against a, a center or a guard that's, you know, equally as big but more mature. Hey, Gerard, last, uh, to the last class, um, USC only signed, for you talk about the top players in California, USC only signed two of the top 30, and one of them was the actual number 30, uh, you know, that was Monheim. This, this class so far, um, eight of the uh, top 30 in California, and USC only signed 10 players in California. They're still in for, you know, guys like uh, Corey Foreman and Sierra Wright. There are other guys that are in the top you know, you could end up getting like 10 guys out of the top 30. I mean, how important is that? For me, the biggest failing for 2020 was you weren't getting the best guys in California. Now you're getting a whole bunch of guys from that list. Yeah, take back the West. Obviously, we talked about that. That kind of goes back to their their credo right now, and they want to be able to say that they're getting the best players locally and they're building off of that. Whereas last year, you felt like, they were going to Texas a bit and they were just grabbing some guys and kind of trying to reinvent them as, Hey, you know, this is, this guy's just as good. You know, Texas three stars, just as good as the California four star. They didn't say that. That wasn't necessarily publicly implied, but you got the sense that, Hey, you know, we can just go to Texas and grab a bunch of guys away from Texas tech and TCU and we're all good. So yeah, to some extent, I think they've definitely done a better job locally and again, they are saying that they want to do a better job locally, but you know, does anybody remember that? Hey, 10 players in California. Great. You got some of the top guys, but you missed out the number one guy again. And that, again, it comes down to that. I think in, in, in terms of that, in terms of USC and the whole taking back the West, you don't get Corey Foreman. You've lost the top player in California three years running. You lost the top player in California, not just California, but Southern California, three years running. And so that's going to be a big deal, and we're going to just have to see if USC is able to close the deal with Corey Foreman. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a lot to talk about. Gerard, anything else you want to add before we send you on your way? I know there's 20 people to talk about if you really want to, but any sleepers? What, what are your final thoughts before we wrap it up? 
Well, USC still got some targets out there. We're just going to have to see what they do on that front. Uh, a lot of people want to know what they're going to do at the running back position. They were able to get Brandon Campbell committed, and that was a big deal because it looked like after that Washington State game where USC uh, didn't rush the ball very well that he became a little bit uh, unsatisfied with his commitment. And so being able to get him and close the deal is is big because, you know, when you're not running the ball successfully – Everybody looks at recruiting, but you also have to look at your own depth chart, and you have to look at the players there that are not getting the football. And so that's going to be something that, you know, we talk about the transfer portal and how it work, can work for USC. you got to look at how it can work against USC, too. So the numbers situation for USC is going to be very interesting. At, at the end of the day, we think it's going to be a full class, but that not, might not be a full class with just high school kids. They might be, you know, looking at the transfers as well, but they have the numbers there. And uh, you don't get Devin Kirkwood, the 6'3", 175-pound cornerback safety out of Gardena Sarah High School. So you have, you know, that number, but you also have a few more numbers. I think that they could be around that 26 uh, number for the total class. And obviously, you only got 19 signees um, today. So, yeah, that's going to be interesting to see how USC closes. And uh, you've got three big-time guys there. You've got Corey Foreman, you've got Sierra Wright, and you've got Rashawn Davis. A lot of people are kind of forgetting about him, uh, the 6'2", 220-pound linebacker out of Modern Day High School. And also, the caveat is that if you play football in California, meaning high school football, because we're still real up in the air about that, and I'm not necessarily optimistic that there'll be high school football in California in January. But if there is, that opens up a whole new sort of uh, pool of possible talent, of guys that become the Jackson Darts of Southern California. And maybe you get a running back, maybe you get a linebacker, maybe you get a kid that people are overlooking right now, but he has a great senior year. And by the time you get in the end of February, that kid's got a bunch of offers. And, you know, if you're a USC, you've got tons of room. You're able to go after those guys. Yeah, interesting. Gerard, I lied. I have two rapid-fire questions for you. Sorry about that. Uh, we had a question from Mark on YouTube who said, when a player signs an NLI, are they put on a database so that other schools know not to legally recruit a signed player? If yes, what's to stop another school leaking where he signed? Yes, I believe that there is a database because I've, I've that's come up before. I think that came up with Penisul where Oregon was claiming behind the scenes that he had signed and a source uh, that was a college football source had said uh, he wasn't in the database. So I believe there's something like that. And in terms of leaking, you know, I don't know. I, the whole leaking thing, it's, uh, it's tough. I mean, it, it seems to leak usually. Um, it's really more getting weeding through the misinformation because you're, you're going to get a bunch of information. It's, it's more of what's, what can you actually believe from what's just a bunch of talk and that's not necessarily accurate. So, um, yeah, I know the, the, the preface of the question is kind of directed towards Corey Foreman and the fact that he said he was going to sign today and was not going to announce until January 2nd. A lot of people are waiting for people to kind of connect the dots and figure out where he actually signed. I don't know that that's not going to happen. I think it's a little bit naive to think it's not going to happen. Uh, Sierra Wright was also potentially going to sign today. I know that was a push from USC, but I don't know that he actually did sign today. So that might be a little bit of a loss for USC if they actually wanted him to get signed today and get that done, and he pushed back and he decided not to do it. And that's kind of sort of what I'm hearing. It sounds like he didn't actually sign today. Um, and Rayshon Davis, as we heard, was not going to sign today. He's not going to sign actually until February 3rd. So he might be one of those – 
you know, lone wolf out there that's the top player that we're still waiting on, um, other than maybe JT Tuimoalo, who's uh, the big five-star number one player in the country, who kind of sort of still looking at USC, kind of has USC uh, in the peripheral. It looks like it's a real Alabama-Ohio State battle for him. But you never know what's going to happen here. I mean, January, maybe uh, some of these teams make a push. You know, maybe that uh, these teams can focus on recruiting solely a little more. You know, something happens. And, and you, like I said, USC's going to have the rise. They've got some overhead with the 2021 class coming out of the early signing day. Mm-hmm. Now, I hate to put you on the spot, Gerard. You don't have to answer if you don't want to. But what's your gut feel on the big fish remaining for USC? Where, where are you leaning Right now, we got them going three for three. Um, now, at the one that we were off on coming into signing day was Devin Kirkwood, and we had him. Uh, Chris went hard in the paint and said 95%. I hate to call him out, but he's going to learn from that one. Uh, <laughs> and he ends up going to UCLA. That was a close one. I mean, that went back and forth. It was you know USC for quite a while, and then within that last 24 hours, I think uh, he started to look at that depth chart, and he started to look at the players that USC was signing, and UCLA just didn't have that same class, and I think he can go in there and feels like he's going to be a, a more of a featured player, a part of that class, which is understandable. I mean, you've got five defensive backs, plus you're still recruiting Sierra Wright really hard. Um, I think that they can land Sierra Wright. I think that's the one out of the three, Corey Foreman, Sierra Wright, and Rashawn Davis. That's the one that uh, I'm a little bit, um, I won't say on the fence, but I feel like that one could slip away from USC for some reason. I feel like that, you know, this, this recruitment has gone on for a little while. It reminds me a little of Ethan Calvert to some extent where there's been a lot of talk. Maybe Sierra Wright's going to commit to USC. Maybe he's going to commit to USC, at least behind the scenes, and then never quite does. Yeah. So that one's a little bit floating out there, but I think ultimately I do think they're going to get Corey Foreman. I think that's just such a big focus for them, just statement-wise as well as getting that player and you know the the circle that Foreman runs in is very USC centric and I think that's just been uh, it's, you know down the stretch when you don't have um, the official visits and you have all the other stuff going on and everybody's basically quarantined and kind of shut down in Southern California you know his contacts have really been pretty much pro USC for the last month or so even taking that unofficial visit to Clemson and I think with Rashawn Davis you know, it's, a, it's just wide open for him right now. Um, I don't think he's going to end up going to LSU. And I think he wants to be closer to home with his family. It's kind of going to be in Oregon, maybe. ASU's trying hard, but I think USC's going to be there. And now with Palia Yoteote out, it's just, like I said, kind of wide, wide open depth chart. Um, I think that it sort of lines up pretty well for him. So he's going to wait, though, because he wants to see what happens with some coaching changes. And I think that's smart. Yeah. And I think more of these kids should do that. But they really just want to get it over with and, and sign. And, and then that's why we have so many transfers in the transfer porthole. <laughs> <laughs> the porthole. All righty, Gerard, thank you so much for calling in and giving us your expertise. We love it. Uh, and everybody in the chat loves it as well. So thank you for that. Have a good night. Get some sleep, okay? <laughs> yeah, you too. You guys be good. Thank you. See you, Gerard. One, oh. one thing real quick to touch on Corey Foreman, yeah. just my personal opinion, sure. is whoever, when he signed today, whoever talked to him right before that, that's who he's signing with. Because <laughs> like Corey Foreman has been such an in-the-moment type of guy, goes to Clemson, commits them. You know, when he goes to Georgia for a visit, oh, Georgia's the leader. He goes to LSU, LSU's the leader. When he's back home, USC's the leader. So whoever talked to him the last might have the best chance of him in, in this yeah. one. I love that Gerard couldn't hear Shotgun for whatever reason. Like We're like all in the same mixing bar. I, no I think he was actually hearing me and just trying to, you know. Just turning <laughs> you out, yeah. And I, I, and I tried to summarize what you said, Shotgun, but I was just like, the portal. <laughs>
Already. Yeah. Do we still want to jump into recruiting or Gerard, did, did he cu- cover it? I think Gerard's covered it. We'll save, you know, we've got a bunch of questions from people and we'll try to hit those in rapid fire afterwards. But we got to talk about the Pac 12 Championship, yeah, right? It's I mean, true. it's two days away. <laughs> so much. In, in, in 48 hours, we may have a champion. Wow. Around. That's a quick or game. Or at least the champion may That's have been game, maybe determined already. <laughs> True. You never know. If it went like how last year's Oregon USC game went, Ooh, you might know. Ooh, or the Pac 12 championship last year. Oh, true. Oregon, Utah. You never know. Already, Ryan, I know you are the Pac-12 guru I've dubbed you this season. <laughs> sure. What is your feel on this Oregon team? Because you lose Justin Herbert and they're not quite the same. Yeah, no, I mean, there's the weird part is there's been a lot of losses for Oregon. They had some guys opt out on the defensive backfield. You know, they lose the entire offensive line. They weren't going to lose Penny Sewell. He opted out of the season. So they lose all their starters. Justin Herbert's tearing up the NFL. And so you're like, ah, maybe the offenses are going to be as good. Well, Tyler Shuck's done a good job, um, you know, being the quarterback there. And they've scored a whole bunch of points. The only, you know, the, the game they didn't score a bunch on was uh, was Cal. But for the rest of the games, they've, they've put up a whole bunch of points in there. The weird part is you still had a lot of guys coming back. There's some studs on defense. Kayvon Thibodeau, the former USC, you know, one of those five stars that didn't go to USC ends up going elsewhere. He might be their best player on defense. And he's been doing, he's bigger now. He's stopping the run well. But they have all these studs all over the place, and they're terrible at stopping the run. And it's really weird. You thought the defense would be – there's just more continuity there. And they just haven't been uh, as good. And you still have the same defensive coordinator. They changed on the offensive side. So that's been a little strange. I think if USC had a great run game, you could say, well, that's an area you can exploit uh, for Oregon. I think they've done a pretty good job against the pass. I think they're comfortable playing like the air raid kind of – teams uh you know we see that when they would play washington state in the past and stuff so you know that's i think that's probably the strength on defense is, is slowing down a passing game and that's obviously usc's strength if usc can run the ball and we heard from clay Elton today that marquis step you know he's, he wants them to go in there and just pound it um i mean that would be a great thing because oregon's having a hard time doing it the problem is we know vavai malapai uh that knee sprain he had the mcl sprain Looks like he's going to be out. Clayton didn't say for sure, but he pretty much. It said didn't for sound sure. optimistic at all. No, I don't think he's going to play. So you're, you know, you're, the, you've only had one guy go over 100 yards this year, and he's now out for this game. That's an area you could exploit. So definitely watch how USC's run game uh, does in this game. And special teams, I think USC's been pretty solid throughout the year. Um, and Oregon's kind of a mess on special teams. They had a scholarship kicker that was awful, and then they replaced him. Okay, get this. So they replaced the scholarship kicker with a walk-on kicker mm-hmm. who is two for two on field goals, which is good. But they were short ones. He had to do a 41-yard extra point because they had like three penalties or something like that. It's a 41-yard. He nails it like right down the middle. It would have been the longest field goal Oregon's hit in the last three years, but it was an extra point. And this kid, the first time he kicked in a game was against Oregon State a couple of weeks ago. Like he's never played in a football game before. Like this is the weirdest thing for So maybe they found their kicker now, but it's been kind of a mess for Oregon on special teams. So they sort of are a fairly talented team that kind of plays down to the competition. USC's is a very talented team that can play down to the competition. There's a good, you know, these are the two most talented teams in the conference. Uh, USC got away with some win, you know, some games. Maybe they should have won. Oregon didn't. They lost a couple of those games. What happens in this one? So mm-hmm. I think it's a really fascinating matchup. It's weird how we got here, but I like the matchup. And it's an opportunity for USC to get some revenge uh, last year. And what's the only team that's ranked ahead of USC in the recruiting rankings? Oregon. So this is their best recruiting class they've ever signed. So this is a great opportunity if you want to talk about take back the West. 
You mm-hmm. want to beat these guys uh, on your home turf. So great opportunity for USC. Wait, wait. Why do they not have multiple scholarship kickers? I mean, USC's got three of them. <laughs> Isn't that what everybody does? That, well, John Baxter didn't work there for one, so that was part of it. <laughs> USC's but, uh, got three of them, and they brought the freshmen in. So we'll see if the two older guys are around next year to, to well, hold Ch- up yeah, those scholarships. Yeah, Chase is. Uh, he's in, in the, the portal. portal. Yeah. That doesn't mean he's going to leave, though necessarily. True. Okay. Now, Shotgun, what Ryan just said, uh, both teams playing down to the opponent, it seems like every time Oregon comes to L.A., comes to the Coliseum, these, this is a team made up of guys either knowing people from SoCal, wanted to be recruited by USC. It seems like Oregon gets hyped up for this game. That includes Mario Cristobal. He was in the tunnel after the game last year. What are you expecting just the energy-wise? Because there's not going to be any fans, but I feel like there will be energy. Yeah, I think there's going to be energy because there's animosity between these two programs. Uh, you know, you have guys like Deamador Lenore on the other side. You had Thomas Graham previously that USC didn't recruit. You know, Thomas Graham was committed in USC when, you know, uh, Bradford came in and said, nah, we don't really like his body type. And he goes to Oregon, has a terrific career. Deamador Lenore, USC didn't really push for him either. So there's a chip on their shoulder. The guys that have left there outside of the Justin Flows and maybe the Kayvon Thibodeaux, they're the, you know, the top. 10 uh, ranked guys in the country, you know, a lot of guys that are from SoCal, USC's kind of passed over the ones that have gone to Oregon. So, uh, you know, there's been a couple of different guys like Michael Wright, USC really wanted, but, you know, they want to show out, uh, you know, in SoCal because they feel like USC either overlooked them or just usually it's, hey, it's a chance to come home. Players always want to play well in their homecoming. And then players from around the country, because Oregon always does a really good job of uh, recruiting around the country, they see it as an opportunity to, you know, the Hollywood lights and stuff. Like, hey, this is an opportunity to really shine. It's going to be, uh, you know, this is the type of game that will lead the late night ESPN Sports Center, you know, that type of thing. So it, it's an opportunity for them to really, you know, put on. And Mario Cristobal knows that the Pac 12 recruiting. And the championships run through Los Angeles and run through USC, run through the Coliseum. So that's why he was really living it up last year after the game. He's like calling recruits and stuff after the game, you know, showing them, uh, you know, probably showing them like sad USC fans behind him and stuff. Uh, You know, he was really hyped up after that game. And I think USC's players and coaches you have really taken that to heart. Tyler Vaughn said earlier this week, you know, we can't lose. That's their mindset. Can't lose. We're not going to lose this game, he said. Okay, that's kind of a Joe Namath declaration <laughs> there. But then also tonight, uh, you know, Dante Williams was on a show. USC had a, a signing day uh, show on Instagram Live. And Dante Williams said, you know, it's been take back the West in the recruiting. He said on, on Friday, the West is taken back. So that's kind of a, you know, a faux guarantee there. So, you know, USC is, is putting themselves, is putting some bulletin board material out there. But sometimes you need that to fire your own team up. I don't think USC needs any extra motivation for this game. They shouldn't uh, with the way that Oregon curb stomped them last year. But they should you know, be ready to go. It should be a, a fascinating matchup, just like Ryan said. I think the biggest key, one player that is key for USC to stop, Jordan Scott in the middle of that defense. You know, he's a 330-pound nose tackle. If USC can move him out of the way, then they'll be able to run the ball. If they can't, he can cause uh, tr- uh, trouble all night with pushing back the center into the quarterback's lap and you know making things really hard on Slovis and the run game. Now, if you guys hadn't heard, USC as on Monday was preparing for two separate teams. They're pe- preparing for Washington. That seems so long ago. <laughs> right? Yes. right? I know. I can only imagine for the staff how long ago that feels. They're preparing for Washington and Oregon. Found out at lunchtime, okay, they're going to play Oregon, which 
we can get into how ridiculous all that was. But Ryan, we talked to Todd Orlando, USC's defensive coordinator, about how much time he lost. And he, he kind of took us through how he prepares for a game. He said he lost around 12 hours, yeah. but he called it not a big deal. I mean, how much does this affect this USC team? You're on short rest. It's a short week. You how how much does that impact the team? I'll give the staff and the players credit because no one we talked to was using this as any kind of no. excuse. I mean, Todd Orlando was like he he broke it down more detail than everyone else. Where he was like, yeah, eight hours on Sunday, I believe it was, yeah. and and four hours on Monday, and then you know, and from that he's like, it's really not that big of a deal. Uh, Graham Harrell, you know, he was a little more attentive this week when we talked to him. And, you know, was talking about like, well, if you don't know who your opponent is, like you're going to get a game plan. And I think I asked him, like, could you make adjustments, you know, during the game or, if, or, or anything like that? He's like, if, if you're not practicing it, you don't want to really change your whole game plan if it's not stuff you've run that week. So it's more about, you know, he likes to, you know, run what they do, but you want to tailor it to whoever your opponent is. So it sounded like, and, you know, Clay Helton was the same way, just play whoever, you know, roll the ball out there. He said he was a chain of command guy and just kind of, takes his orders and I would like to see Clayton to be a little more forceful and you know make some calls and be like hey man like this is stupid like we we are we're five and oh why are we preparing for two teams like figure your stuff out Larry Scott figure your stuff out uh Pac-12 and that that should have been what they've done this is on the Pac-12 to me the fact that they would allow that and when we heard when Washington did end up uh you know bowing out of this game and we heard that not only were there no offensive linemen available but there was everyone on the team was in quarantine you couldn't figure this out like the, you know, 24 hours before. Like this just didn't make it. It's very Pac-12. It was sort of like Larry Scott had to come in and just, you know, it's the, your, the, your little kids in the in the kitchen just eating cookies all the time. And you, Larry Scott had to come in like, put the cookies away. You're done. We're you know we're putting you off in the, to bed now. You there's no we can't trust you in here. You can't do that. You can't allow a team to just like, well, we're gonna wait it out. You have no offensive lineman. You have no everyone's in quarantine. You're out. Unfortunately, sorry. And either make it a no contest and both are champs. And then let USC play Colorado, Oregon, or move on. But don't schedule two games in Los Angeles and have both teams have backups. I mean, and now they're talking about Stanford maybe being the backup to the backup. It's just, <sighs> it is poorly run and poorly done. USC should be playing Colorado this weekend, and there should be either USC is a champ or co-champs. That's, you know, that's what I think it should be. Can we talk about Colorado and the limbo that they're in? They are screwed. Their equipment truck is in St. George, Utah. <laughs> Why is it in St. George, Utah? Because it's halfway between Boulder and L.A., and they don't know where they're going to be on Saturday. So they're hoping, you know, that, that they get a game in. The Pac-12 lets them know in enough time. Uh, and, you know, you, you never know with the COVID. Obviously, you know, it, cases can pop up, and then things can be shut down really quickly. You saw with the Cal game last week, you you know, two hours before the game, it got shut down. But you know, how can you just put a team in limbo like that? Give them an opponent and say, "Hey, this is what it's going to be." You know, but positive, negative. This was going to be. We don't want to, you know, put you out there and have your truck in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Apparently, there's ridiculous. an ending out there, though. So oh. at least there's that. Oh. That's the consolation prize for the truck drivers. <laughs> you um, get a holiday in and an in and out. Congratulations, truck drivers. Yeah. Sounds good right now. That's how tired I am. <laughs> now, shotgun. There will be some familiar names and faces on this Oregon team. You already mentioned some, Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, Justin Flo, and Devin Williams. What are you expecting from those guys? Yeah, Justin Flo is actually out for the season with an injury. Oh. Um, oh, but Noah Sewell really is another guy that USC recruited really yeah. hard. He has been a stud in the middle of their uh, their defense. A lot of people have been, you know, texting each other, going, you know, former players and stuff, and telling me that they're texting other players, going, "Man, this, who's this guy? He's really, really good." Um, but the, you know, they're they're terrific. They they got a terrific young core of guys. 
But they, like Ryan said, they just haven't played well together, I guess. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure why they're not getting better results with as much talent as they have. Thibodeau is, is terrific off the edge. That'll be a matchup that'll be really interesting to watch. You know, him against uh, AVT, Elijah Vera Tucker on the, on the left side. He lined up pretty much exclusively on the left side last year, if I remember correctly. I had to go back and check that. So we'll see if they move him around, try to get him against Jalen McKenzie or try to put him in different situations like USC does with Drake Jackson, you know, potentially as a middle linebacker sometimes. Um, so there, there's some really unique players. I think it's a really unique matchup, Diamador Lenore potentially versus Tyler Vaughns. You know, Tyler Vaughns, I think, had a t- touchdown catch or maybe he was out of bounds against Lenore last year. I had a photo of it. don't remember if it was inbounds or out of bounds but those two guys went at it a, a little bit last year and uh you know i tweeted out tyler vaughn's comments earlier this week and diamador lenore was quick to uh quote <laughs> retweet it and said that he really liked that um so you know he, the, these are guys that grew up playing against each other in seven on seven they know each other really 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 well and that would be a fun matchup as well um but for usc it's going to be about stopping the run attack of Oregon on the defensive side. You know, Tyler Shuff can, can do some different things. He's second in the, in the Pac-12 in passing, but he also is a threat to run the ball. So you have to be able to stop, you know, C.J. Verdell and Die and those guys first, and then, you know, make it, make their offense more one-dimensional, and you'll be able to, to slow the attack down better. And Shuck has the highest uh, quarterback rating in the conference. Uh, so, I mean, he's he's been efficient with the football. Not the highest percentage, but he's, his rating has been high. And the guy you want to watch for is former USC Trojan Devin Williams. When he's healthy, he's been banged up a little bit, their offense moves, you know, and he yeah. was out the last game uh, against Cal, and they, the offense struggled. So if he's if he's healthy and ready to go, he's supposed to be in this one. Uh, that'll be a that'll be a fun one to watch. But he really does help uh, make this offense a lot more explosive. Yeah, he's a big play threat, and you know we've seen it. We saw it repeatedly in USC practice when he was locked in, when he was focused. Yeah. You know when he was pissed off, and he was going to be pissed off at USC. Yes. You know he's going to have that revenge factor for mm-hmm. himself that he needed to transfer away from USC because they weren't giving the play and time he wanted. Then I think he's going to be locked in, and I think he's going to look really good out there. Now, if he's not focused, that's when he has some struggles, and that's when he had some struggles at USC practices, and maybe why he didn't get as much playing time as he he thought he deserved. Mm-hmm. Now, Ryan, where is your biggest concern for this USC team? I mean, I think you've you know, there's like the there's odds, right? There's the thing, you know, you flip on a coin like ten times, and it's like heads, 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 heads every time. That eleventh time, you're like, eventually, this is going to be tails. Like, eventually. You're not. You're going to be in a close game, and you're not going to make a miracle comeback in the fourth quarter nice. with under a minute left. And this is yeah. the most talented team that USC is going to face. And we felt like USC had some good schemes for part of things, but maybe some you know not so good in other parts. And it really was these amazing players making great plays, and you're relying on the talent. It's harder to do that when the talent is almost equal or better or whatever on the other side. I think USC still has more talented players. Uh, but when the talent is closer, it's a whole different story. It's hard to out-talent a team that has as much talent as you do. So I feel like USC's relied on that, not for the whole game, but proportions of the game. And things could go, you know, things could go south. I, I still think USC's going to win a close one here. We'll probably get the predictions and stuff later. But mm-hmm. the biggest concern is knowing that there are better players on the other side of the ball. They, USC hasn't played the most talented teams this year and struggled, you know? So yeah. now you're playing a team with a lot more talent. They've struggled too. I mean, they lost to Cal and Oregon State, uh, or, you know, Oregon did. Uh, but you still know at the end of the day, those guys are great players. And they, they came to the Coliseum last year and really played well. And I know there's a bunch of different guys, but a lot of them were there. And USC did not play well. So we'll see. Um, 
what happens. But it's, it's really just about the amount of talent USC's playing, which we haven't seen this year. How much do you make of Oregon's force by? I feel like that can go either way. You're a little rusty or you're coming out refreshed. Yeah, it, it's tough. At this point in the season, normally you really would, would take it just because your body would be so beat down um, that, that you, know, you want that extra week of rest if you get it. Uh, but now you need to be sharp. So USC needs to try to attack early. You know, I would look for them to try to take some shots a little bit early, try to catch Oregon on their heels, you know, try to get some things rather than running plays up the middle, try to get some, you know, balls on the outside and get guys in space and force them to tackle. You saw, you know, USC struggle with that, you know, coming off of their, you know, forced by from, from the COVID of losing that Colorado game. So we'll see if Oregon does the same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the good thing is it's not like Washington where they were forced out, but they couldn't have guys practice. I mean, everyone could practice and they got to focus on USC fairly early. I don't think they were, let's prepare for Colorado. Like, no, they were preparing to play. They, they, I think they knew too that they they were going to prepare for USC. And if they had a switch to Colorado late in the week, you know, I I feel like they were probably doing that. Like they were like, all right, our game got canceled. We're prepping for USC. You know, we'll see what they decide to do with it. We'll prep for USC. And then if we need to switch later, we'll do that. Because again, there's that animosity. There's the recruiting battles. It is. It's not you know a friendly thing. There's not a nice handshake every time they see each other no. on a recruiting battle. It's a, <laughs> that guy's here. <laughs> <laughs> now we mentioned it already, but we've gotten questions about it, so I'll mention it again. Vi Malpei has an MCL sprain. Clay Elton told us today in his Wednesday press conference. Uh, he didn't rule him out, but he all but said that. It, he said it does not look good for Vavai. Uh, he said he talked to Marquis Step about an increased role. Ryan, I know you already alluded to this, but if you're USC, you already have struggled getting the run game going. The one guy who got it going the over for 100 yards for the first time was Vi Malpei. He, if he's out, do you really sell out and just go to your strength so far this season? I think they, they might have to do that. The good thing, though, is we've we talked about Oregon not being great against the run. UCLA is. I mean, they put a lot of pressure on you, and I think they take chances on early down sometimes and sell out to stop the run. We saw poor Stephen Carr, I mean, just get hit by two guys as he's getting the handoff, and there, there's really no shot and stuff like that. I don't think Oregon's going to be doing as much of that. Uh, so maybe a guy like Stephen Carr can get loose and and kind of get his confidence back. I thought he was confident early on in the season, and it just seemed to like wane a little bit since then. But you know, Clay Helton was talking up Marquis Step, the injury he was coming back from, and everything. He only got that one carry, but it was a big one, picking up a you know a, a short yardage first down there. Um, maybe we see a lot more of Marquis Step. Uh, maybe we see a little more of Keen Kristen. He takes one of those delayed handoffs and breaks a big one. So maybe it's not going to be the consistent running game, but maybe we see one of those guys or a couple of those guys, you know, break a big run every once in a while. I'd like to see them try to have a more consistent run game and have Marquis step go in and, and pound for, you know, three, four, three, four, three, four yards. And then in the second half, it becomes six yards and seven yards and eight yards. Uh, I'd love to see them do something like that, especially if you know that's where Oregon's weakness is. But I think USC is going to do what they're going to do, and they're going to try some run plays. And if it works, it works. And if not, they'll just throw the ball. You know, It's interesting because Oregon has struggled against the run some this year, but it was their secondary where they lost all their players to offense yeah. and stuff. Yeah. So it's really kind of confusing in that. So. You know, I'm interested to see what Graham Harrell tries to draw up. You know, they'll test the the defense with with some different things early with the scripted plays, and then what do you kind of what do you adjust to? What do you try to go with? You know, they didn't run a lot early. There were a couple RPOs that Keaton Slovis threw against UCLA, 
But they didn't run much. But then later in the game, they started going to Vi more and more. And the offensive line, give them credit, they were getting some push. You know, it was a couple yards down the field before the running back was getting anybody touching them. Whereas, you know, early in the game, like you said with Stephen Carr, he was getting hit as soon as he touched the ball. So uh, we'll see how the game kind of progresses there. But this one, you know, last week there were so many momentum swings and emotion. Yeah. I think that sh- that's really good for USC that they showed that they're, they're not, you know, they won't just fall apart if, they're, if the emotion goes against them. Because that's kind of what happened last year in, in that Oregon game. Yep. That touchdown, kickoff return for touchdown, took all the wind out of their sails, and they went to halftime, and they were never the same. Yeah. Um, I think they're just, they're a, you know, a, a better mentally prepared team this year. You know, they, they're, you know, they got more of a spine, to be honest. You know, they're, they're not afraid to back down, even if they get down. Uh, you know, they, they have the culture, and they've talked about this this week, that they feel like they can come back at any time. And, you know, if the offense gets on track, it's, it's really, it's quick to put up a bunch of points. So, you know, even if they get down, I think the USC will still be in this game. So it'll be an interesting matchup going back and forth, potentially. Hey, real quick, Keely. Yeah, yeah. I said about the special teams. Mikael Wright is still there, so do not kick to him. So that's the one Especially thing. Especially before yeah. the half, so you don't implode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or after you kick a go-ahead field goal of 52 seconds left yeah. at UCLA. Yeah, exactly. Um, we've reached the top of the hour. I'm going to jump into questions. Yeah. Man. we got a rapid fire, I guess, right away. I guess so. Uh, DD Diego said, did all 20 commits receive a Boulevard video clip? Yes, they did, which was something that really stood out to me, you know, that USC won. You know, they were able to get all the commitment stuff out really quickly when in the past it's been a struggle for us, you know, getting that information from them. But two, that they had personalized clips for every single player and the, that the coaches, you know, brought their acting chops as much as possible. Some <laughs> of them not so much, um, but were, were in the videos that they were produced and each one had their own individual video. Shady shotgun. Well, that's not shady. They're, they're coaches, not actors. True. Very right, true. Yeah. Jester Smith says, how good is the defensive end uh, from Maryland? Seems like he can put on some weight i believe colin mobley yeah colin mobley you don't go all the way across the country to get a three-star guy unless you think that they're better than that ranking you saw that with jacob lichtenstein when usc went and got him so you know you're looking for a similar type of player there the dmv they're known you know chris trevino is known Shout for his feistiness <laughs> his feistiness obviously if you've, you've heard the family feud podcast mm-hmm. but they're known for their Look. grit you know that 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 area of the country the football there they're known for their grit so hopefully he brings that grit with him for usc andrew on youtube says with all these signees are they for sure pushing all seniors out I don't think so. I don't think anything's for sure on that. It's going to I think it's going to be a case by case basis. There might be a general like here's what we need. And knowing this year, there's no need to push any seniors out because they won't count. But mm-hmm. the NCAA hasn't made any decisions as far as the future classes go. So at that point, your 2020 your class of 2020 and 2021 are essentially lumped together. Now, USC had a small 2020, so it's not as bad. But if you signed 25 guys last year and then 25 that guys this year, that's 50 people in one class. So what does the NCAA do to allow for some of that? Because that's this huge bubble that's going to be you know, going through your, your class cycle. So as of now, the seniors for next year will be fine if they want to come back. As long as the school is, is fine paying for them, they're not going to count against your 85 limit. But after that, what are they going to do? Well, there'll be some guys forced out, even more people in the transfer porthole. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, we don't know what you know the future. But for next year, it, you wouldn't need to worry about the seniors. And I don't think USC is going to necessarily kick anybody out. No, I wouldn't think so. Yeah. Oscar on Facebook, I'm modifying your question a little bit. He says, will it be a statement only if USC wins by double digits on Friday? I think it depends on how the, it kind of plays out. You know, sometimes you don't win by double digits, but it feels like a lot more. Sometimes you win by double digits with a late 
touchdown or something, and you know it feels like it was a nail biter the entire time. Mm-hmm. I think just this is one like if you just beat UCLA by a point, like that was important. You wanted to beat them. You you beat Oregon by a point. Who cares? You win the Pac-12. Like you're undefeated. I I don't mind. Like this doesn't have to be a blowout. You're not making it in the college football playoff because they're only ranked number 13. So I don't think there's anything they could do to impress anybody that would change what's going to happen. If they beat Oregon, they'll probably be playing the Fiesta Bowl by one point or by 50 points. Mm-hmm. Joan on YouTube says, "Where does USC end up in the standings if they get Corey Foreman and Rajon Davis?" So I put these through. There's a if you go to 24/7 Sport, you know uscfootball.com, and under the football recruiting tab, there's a class calculator, so you can add those guys. I think it put USC up to like number seven or eight when you add if you add a couple of those. Uh, if you get all three, they would actually get up to I think number six and pass Oregon. So if they can, you know, Gerard said he likes them for you know those three big names. If USC gets all three of them and Oregon doesn't add anybody else, they could actually end up with the number one class in the conference. That would be the third one would be Sierra right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Asai on YouTube says, does USC have a better chance of getting Corey Foreman or JT Tui Malau? And if so, would you? which one are you choosing? Uh, the answer, I, th- I think, is technically JT Tui Malau because they've either already got Foreman, so they're not <laughs> getting him. So technically the answer is, is, is Tui Malau because so Foreman has signed already. But if you're going to say, like, uh, two months from now, who do, who do you think is more likely to be on USC's <laughs> roster? I would say it would be Corey Foreman. Hey, Ryan, I can only take the question as to what it's, what it's okay. about. Uh, Semantics so are important. <laughs> difficult. Percy wants to know about the trenches. How did USC do with linemen? I think Gerard answered this pretty good. Uh, but you're know, pointing out also Mobley and, and Toya in the middle of the defensive line. I think we're, we're good gets for USC. Obviously, they can still add more there. If they get Foreman or they get Tui Moloa, it takes that class to a completely different offensive line. Uh, and, and someone asked later, you know, what's the one area where USC's, you know, still, con- there's still con- some concerns is offensive line. Just because you don't have that linchpin left tackle that USC has been known for over their years with Tyron Smith and Matt Khalils and uh, Tony Baselli and Anthony Mouton, those, you know, that run of, of tackles they've had throughout the years. They don't necessarily have that on the roster. They've done great having Austin Jackson, and Elijah Vera Tucker has been uh, a godsend for them this year. But next year, is there that true left tackle on there that's a first-round pick? I don't know. Uh, and they haven't really recruited that the last couple cycles. Missing out on Jackson Carmen, missing out on uh, Kingsley Suomatu, uh, missing out on Pene Sewell. You know, there's been several guys they missed out on that they really wanted. Sean Ryan as well. So uh, that's the one area that's still a big concern. Not necessarily the whole offensive line group, but left tackle. Ben Jen on YouTube said, we're really short on running back recruits. Is there a chance that Prophet Brown plays offense? He's going to start on defense, and then, you know, if things fall apart, you know, or if he's buried on the depth chart, uh, like I said, he hasn't played a ton of running, I mean, of cornerback. So, you know, if he gets here and he's just too raw and they say, you know what, it, you got a better chance of being over there, he asked to go over that side, maybe. But USC should, you know, unless someone enters the transfer portal, they could have all four running backs back next year along with adding Brandon Campbell and potentially Byron Cardwell as well. He's still another guy that's out there. Facebook, if you want to get on the action, make sure you put in your questions. I'm monitoring the chat. I'm actually going to bring up a caller. It's our buddy Dave from Iowa. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. Hi, Tunnel Vision. Good to be back. I just had two. Qu- I just had like two things to say. One, I understand, like you know, we all dislike Larry Scott, but I'm pretty sure we should probably be thanking him for having him schedule the ASU game in the beginning of the season rather than the end of the season. And then, two, just curious, Oregon had a pretty 
Oh, he dropped. Sometimes his his uh, service is bad. Oh, so yeah. there you go. Well, see, so ASU, I mean, they missed three games also. So like you could have, there would have, there's only a small window you could have scheduled the ASU anyway. So that was a <laughs> well, the way it played out. Yeah, that yeah. was tough. You know, uh, but they, you know, they ASU is definitely playing better. It's weird. You watch these teams. We're trying to do our power rankings for all the Pac-12 teams. It's like, where do you go? Like, you know who Arizona's the worst team. Arizona must beat USC. You know, like, they're, they're clearly the worst team, and USC's clearly the best team. And USC was seconds away from losing to them. So, I mean, it's, it's you know, it's pretty tight. And uh, Arizona State looked better. They should have beat UCLA probably, and they didn't do that. Um, you know, and Utah, same thing. They started off kind of slow, and they looked a lot better. Uh, recently, they ended up beating Colorado. You know, we didn't think Colorado. Well, I didn't think Colorado would be that good, and they did look good. I wanted to see that game against USC. It's just, it's a, it's kind of a mess in the Pac-12. But I wouldn't say USC is lucky to play Arizona State when they did. I mean, it's all just like, it's you know, you're flipping coins for every game. Does it even happens? Let alone how you know you can flip a coin like, is USC going to be good today? Are they going to be terrible? It's like Arizona State going to be good. like you just don't know. Every, every there's like all these random numbers for all of these games. Mm-hmm. Look, everyone looked bad at the beginning of the year. Yeah, across the country, basically, yep. besides Coastal Carolina. <laughs> Because they got all their spring practices. Uh, that's probably it. There actually. you go, Ryan. Uh, Torian on YouTube says, what happened to Quay Davis? Uh, he dropped out of the class uh, probably a week and a half ago or yeah. so. Um, this was USC says that it was you know not anything they could do about it. We don't really know exactly. He's not going to sign until February. There's some still questions about his recruitment and where he ends up. Uh, but he, he dropped out, and then USC was able to come in and get Kyron Ware Hudson after that. They dropped Joseph, uh, Joshua Moore, who ends up signing with UCLA. He's going to have some animosity against USC. Yes. Uh, but they filled his spot with Joseph Manjack, the 6'3 wide receiver that they got a commitment from and signature today from Texas. We, uh, we had a real quick one on Periscope. Sure. I forgot it was from a while, but I don't know who it was from because it was early up. But they talked about Jordan Wilmore entering the, the transfer portal, mm-hmm. former USC commit, you know, local kid here. Lawndale. Lawndale. Any uh, opportunity to for USC to sign him? What do you think, Shotgun or Keeley? I mean, I don't think so because he was committed to Tim Drevno as a running back coach. And then when Jinx came in, they kind of let him go. Yeah. You know, they kind of let him out of the class. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's the stature or exactly what it, what it is about him that they, you know, weren't sold on and him going to Utah and, you know, you know, being overtaken by a couple of guys, that's not going to help him, you know, in the eyes of USC. So I don't think that they, you, they're that high on him, I guess. Mm-hmm. We have a caller. What's up, Ryan? I, I think I know the caller. Oh, do you? Okay. We have a caller on the line, Chloe from LA. Hello. You're live on Tunnel Vision. Uh, I is it is it working? Yeah, yeah. Turn your turn your uh, device down. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> Sorry, you're also on my TV, so the, the there's a little bit of lag. <laughs> no worries. What's your question for us? So. So it's more of a debate. So I was listening to your um, podcast earlier today for yesterday, and I disagree with both of your statements about USC um, not being able to make it into the college football playoff because of the eye test and uh, et cetera. So my argument here is that think about Ohio State. They are also 5-0, and and what's to say that they deserve a better shot than we do? We're undefeated, just like them. Arguably, we had a harder chance to make it in because we started later. We've had to deal with all these issues. And at the end of the day, like, yeah, I get the eye test. We didn't look that great. But, like, a win is a win. So 
what is keeping us out of there? Why why does that matter? I I don't think it does. Hey, Chloe. Is this Chloe? Chloe, Chloe. Oh, hi, Chloe. Former USCFootball.com reporter, Chloe. There you go. Shotgun, I know you've been dying to rant about the college football playoff (laughs) rankings. Take the stage. They don't make any sense, so I don't know why you can look at one team and be like, you can also do the same thing with Iowa State and Louisiana and say, well, which team won by 17 points in a head-to-head matchup? Which team has a better record? Oh, those are both Louisiana, and yet they're 19th, and uh, Iowa State is one win away from being in the college football playoff, potentially, uh, at number six. So the, the answers they've given also for why, you know, why is Coastal not in with two top 20 wins, and yet the, you know, they're way behind Iowa State when that's what you're using. It's like losses don't matter to some teams. Wins don't matter to some teams. It just, it, none of it, it, there's no linear actual explanation for the rankings. So the reason why USC can't make it in and Ohio State can is because there's some metrics that say that Ohio State is playing better. They dominated uh, pretty much everybody they played. Even the Indiana game, they dominated and then let them back in. USC has struggled and then found their way down the stretch, so it doesn't look as good to people. You know, it's also just people aren't watching USC as much as they're watching Ohio State. Um, and the fact that Ohio State started up way higher. Yeah. They started at number, what, three, I think it was, three or four. USC started at 20. So, you know, it, and that's the biggest difference. It's climbing the rankings versus already being at the top. And, you know, they're, they've shown that they're not going to ding Ohio State for not playing, though Cincinnati gets dinged for not playing. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they show that they're, they're going to not ding Florida for losing, but they ding other teams for losing. So what, what exactly matters? It, it doesn't. It's just your, your, the only thing that really matters is your conference affiliation, it seems like. Yeah. That's the biggest thing that it appears to matter in this, and it's, it's a bunch of BS, to be honest. Yeah, for Florida to lose to a 3-5 and five team and only drop one spot, it's yeah. really just— That they were a, tw- what, 24-point favorite? <laughs> yes. So, I mean, you have to— yeah. This is a, Don't this tell is, me it's like it's a national champion or so, it's a whatever. It's LSU. They got all. They didn't have many scholarship players to begin with. You're a 24 point favorite and you lose two, and you're like, well, they're, they're still good. We'll just drop them one spot. We can't yeah. put them behind Georgia because they beat Georgia. Well, what has Georgia done? Nothing. They haven't beaten anybody. Have they looked better recently with JT Daniels? Definitely. Yeah. But who have they beat? Oh, yeah. well, they haven't beaten anybody, but you know they, they got two losses to good teams. What the, the, the does that mean? No, it's, they have two losses. They've lost by thirty-three combined points in those two games. It's, this, it doesn't make any sense. Sorry, Ryan, to cut you off. That's okay. Sorry. This is probably the worst committee that we've seen so far. I think they've done a, a pretty good job. What happens is, is look at this. Like, what is this? What's the logo on the side? That is all that matters. Is what you think of that team. It doesn't matter. There's people. There's reporters out there saying if Clemson loses again to Notre Dame in the championship, they would still make the playoff. It's I just, completely believe that it's, they will. It could. It's pretty much decided. And if you've ever done the experiments, it's great when they'll put it up on like ESPN or Fox or something, and they'll show you a blind resume. Like here's the team. They've won. They beat three teams in the top twenty-five, and they did you know whatever. They'll up, you know there's eight and zero, or they're nine and zero. They beat three top twenty-five teams, and the record of their opponents is above. 500 and this team they haven't beaten any top 25 teams and they their, their opponent's record are below 500 and they've lost the game but they're ranked higher because that one's like lsu or something and this one's like indiana and they're like well indiana's not supposed to be good so 
it, the resume doesn't matter. And that's the, the pre the reason they start the rankings as late as they do is because the preseason and the AP polls and all that stuff isn't supposed to matter. But that's all they run off. That's all it is. It's just here's who we thought were going to be good, so that's who's going to be good. And you better prove it beyond a reasonable doubt that you are you belong in there. And for the good thing for USC is they have the brand that they could get there. But like Shotgun said, you're starting. You know, this is like a NASCAR race. And you have Clemson and Alabama and Ohio State starting in pole positions, and USC is in the back of the pack. So to get back up there, the brand was there. Like USC could have had a much better ranking because of the brand. They're going to get the benefit of the doubt, but you can't go. You know, they only played five games, and they had to come from behind in the last minute in three of them. And so that's really to me, Chloe, what the issue is. I'm not saying that's fair. But I'm saying USC just wasn't starting off close enough to the top. You have to be up there close. Otherwise, you're not going to make it in. There's also the, the point of that Clay Helton's the coach and people don't think he's a great coach. If Urban Meyer was the coach and had the same exact results, he would be up much higher than, than where he is right now. Yeah. Now, as I told Keeley on one show uh, this week, they're all blending together now. Uh, <laughs> we've, done, but, we've done a lot of shows but this week. But USC, have. if they win this week, they're going to jump up in the polls. They're going to be you know, somewhere in between six and eight so that when they play in that Fiesta Bowl, hey, that matchup looks really good on ESPN. This is a top 10 team. Do they deserve to move up you know, five or six space spots after a win over a three and two Oregon team? versus is I think UCLA was three and two at the same time, you know, and they move up two spots. No, they, they don't deserve it, but that's probably what's going to happen because it makes the metrics look a lot better. Yeah. My favorite thing to come out of that was Nicole Auerbach asked on the conference call. She said, when Iowa State loses to Louisiana and Florida loses to an unranked LSU team and those don't play a role in the rankings, what's the point of playing games? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a great true. point. And she said, it's not a playoff, it's an invitational. And it's like, you know, I, I tweeted yesterday that if, if this was college basketball, Gonzaga would never be ranked above like 12, 12 or 14 or something. Yeah. Good point. And Good it, point. it took them 15 years to become a, a number one seed, uh, you know, to build up the cachet that, hey, we're good enough and we deserve a number one seed. So it's going to take a, a program like a Boise State would have to be dominant, dominant for 15 years, I feel like, before it'd be like, well, yeah, maybe we can consider them as a top 14. Yeah. Chloe, I hope that answered it. Yeah, <laughs> Very thanks, extensive answer no, for we, you yeah, there. Like, so she used to work for us. And, Only uh, the best for former USCfootball.com. Yeah. Her and her mom is also a big fan. Joan. And, uh, yeah, yeah. We had a question from Coley who says, which Pac-12 team, Pac team had the best signing day? Was it USC? It was Oregon. No, no, it wasn't. Signing day was actually UCLA. UCLA flipped multiple players. They flipped a guy from Michigan. Uh, you know, getting Devin Kirkwood back when it looked like he they made loot, they had he had decommitted and was going to USC. So signing day was UCLA actually, which is is positive for the rivalry and for the Pac-12 that, that they're stealing some players from other you know uh, nationally known programs. I think right now though UCLA is still ranked sixth in the Pac-12. Well, they started so. the day like ten or eleven. They true. They've moved up. Uh, they were eleven. They've moved up five spots. So okay. So for today they, they had a good day. Uh, but overall, so technical again. Oregon has the best class they've ever signed, and <laughs> they, they've already they ask a question. I, I got to answer what the question is asked. Keely, sorry, <laughs> Ryan, we're fighting while you're answering it in sincerity. Yeah. Mark on YouTube says, "Do you think there's any chance of a USC Georgia bowl game so we can get an epic quarterback showdown?" 
That'd be awesome. All I've heard is Indiana, and I don't know. I mean, I hate bowl predictions, but that seems to be the one that everyone has. If they're going to do that, then make the flip, flip the switch, put it in the Rose Bowl, let the CFP go to the Fiesta Bowl and have fan, you know, the fans. That's the big issue for the CFP right now with the Rose Bowl. Flip it, have the traditional matchup in the Rose Bowl. It'd be great. I think it'd be awesome. Leonard said, what, what is still a position of need for USC? Uh, this was the one I was answering about left tackle is still the, the yeah. biggest area of concern for USC. And an elite pass rusher is always something you want to add. That's where Corey Foreman would come in. Yeah. Now, this might be a, a joke, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Beck said, Keelan Shotgun, are you guys surprised that the athletes never quit on Helton even though he sucks? I'm surprised they never quit on him, maybe because he's nice. It's not because he's nice. It's because... He's genuine to the players, yeah. and they believe in him. You know that's why we always say well, recruits love Clay Helton. You know he's genuine in the process. And people going get through. mad at us when we say that. Yeah, I, I, yeah that's why it happens. So you've seen it, it's not something that's always the case. They built a you know they talked about it this week uh, a couple different times, but they built a much better culture now. And I think a big part of that is Todd Orlando and the defense coming in. Um, talking with Miller Moss, you know when he first committed, I was looking through you know as we're doing our signing day stuff. He said, I wouldn't be coming to USC if they weren't on the path back to you know prominence. And he said one of the biggest things was on offense. When they got Graham Harrell, he turned the culture around on the offensive side. And then he said he thinks he sees the same things. Now, this was in uh, June, I believe, when he committed from Todd Orlando and the defensive staff. And I think you can definitely say that is true now, that you know they, they're bought in, they're playing for each other. You see the way they celebrate with each other rather than an individual celebrating. You know, There's not animosity in between players that are competing for positions. It doesn't appear. Um, so those are the things that you know if you build that culture as a team and give Helton at least some credit for hiring those two guys that have helped do that on the offensive and defensive sides. I think there's also something to be said for just the bonding that occurred over this offseason mm, and just weird quarantine Zoom. We talked to a lot of coaches who said for the majority of the beginning of the time that they were Zooming, it was more being like, how are you doing? How are you um, handling this weird time period? And I think that pays off. You know, there there's some some bonding there. Yeah, if you want, I mean, there are a lot of reasons for criticism for Clay Helton and all that stuff, but you have to give the, you know, the, the st- him and the staff credit for keeping these guys in games late and then coming up, finding a way to win. And uh, they wouldn't have done it in the last couple of years. And they, that's something different for this year. They play for each other, uh, whether that's for Clay Helton or because of Clay Helton, they're definitely playing for each other. They are a, a, a unit. And I think that's the, the biggest difference this year. And that's why you can come back in those games because people don't get down the sideline and be like, this is over. Yeah. Um, you know, like it was the Oregon game yeah. last year. So we'll see if they can do like if they get down again against Oregon, then you know are they able to bounce back. But they, yeah, that was a demoralizing game for the team. Mm-hmm. Mark on YouTube says, "Why hasn't Jake Lichtenstein played yet?" Uh, not saying that there's a Keeley curse or anything, but the last time she broke a story about a player returning, that player never played for USC again. In fairness, that was Daniel Marbebe, and that's <laughs> that's not my mojo with that. Shotgun. Uh, there's something to this Keeley curse, I think. No, I think there's a Chris is... curse. That's what he's alluding to. Oh, okay. Mark, listen to the Family Podcast. Thank you. Plug. Shotgun. <laughs> Lichtenstein. You've been on Lichtenstein Watch. Um, I think it's just that it's a new coaching staff, so he needed to impress them, and he didn't have that chance to during the camp and all that stuff, so now he's got to work his way up the totem pole. And, you know, there's other guys that are in front of him. I mean, a guy like Stanley Taofu uh, was, you know, the backup to, to Marlon Tui Peloto initially. He hasn't played the last few weeks either, so... 
You know, they're they're they especially this game against UCLA. They really they tightened the rotation and didn't play a ton of subs in this game. They only played them for a few snaps. So they were you know they they went all out to win this game. We'll see. And I asked Todd Orlando this on. on Whatever day I, we talked to him. <laughs> I don't know. That was Tuesday. That was Tuesday. That was yesterday. Oh, my God. So long ago. Yeah. Um, but I asked him, uh, you know, do you need to expand the rotations this week with it being a second short week back-to-back? And he said, yeah, that's something they'll definitely have to do. Um, we have full call queue. I'm going to go to them wow. soon. I know. One of them is Curtis from Marino Valley, and I believe I, – I don't know. It's I'm getting weird updates. Um Marcus Nelson d- says, do you guys think Gary Bryant has a breakout game in the Pac-12 championship game? Was that return a breakout? Because I think that yeah. was. Yeah. Uh, he's playing, actually, he's stealing some of Brew McCoy's snaps away um, as the fourth receiver that they use. So uh, they And they've tried to use him a little bit. Could he sneak behind the defense and get a really big play? Yes, I could definitely see that happening. He is an electric player. I don't think he's going to come up with uh, Tyler Vaughn's eight catches for 128 yards type of performance, but he could have a really big, impactful play, similar to like last week where he had one big play. Mm-hmm. All righty. I'm going to go to the queue. The first one is Keith from Irvine, 949 represent. <laughs> You're live on Tunnel Vision. Keith, you there? Yes. Am I on? Yes. You definitely are. <laughs> behind the orange curtain. Yes, Keely, what's up? <laughs> what's hey, up? Ryan Stockton, what is up? This is Keith from Irvine. Yeah, I know. Everyone out there expects my call. Hey, Keely, my smile is just as bright as yours is. Hey, Ryan, I'm just as executive as you always are. And Shotgun, I'm ready to go like you always are. So, look. <laughs> Here's what I want to say, guys, about the recruiting. You know, last time I was at the Coliseum in the locker room with Coach Helton, guess who I saw right next to me? Shotgun. He was right there. First game of the year last year, Jason Daniels blew out his ACL. Okay, I see Shotgun. He gives me some look like, and I'm like, yeah, it's kind of crazy, right? Uh, let me tell you guys about recruiting because I'm super big on the seven-on-seven circuit, uh, uh, you know, here in uh, – and so Cal, I actually, my brother owns an organization. So here we go. Now, I'm going to talk to you guys about, you know, uh, Shotgun said, what's the biggest need? Defensive end. Hey, Shotgun, I like you, dude. You're smart. You know that we have a certain someone that has given his, you know, secret commitment <laughs> that uh, played with a certain someone wearing number 99 at the same high school on our defensive line. He's coming to us. You know what? Let me go ahead and say it. He committed to Clemson. Psych. But you know what? We're going to say that because we're not eating snitches. Okay? So we have the <laughs> Keith, what up. is the question Keith, here? we got to get to a point here. This yeah. is a whole other show. Uh, the, the question, the, okay, the question <laughs> is, you know, who is the, what is the biggest need on recruiting? I'm thinking, guys, that it's linebacker. Okay? Hmm. Like, you know, the linebacker we got out of Washington who played for the 7-on-7 seven seven squad, FSP, he played safety in high school. Okay, Julian played safety. Uh, you know, we we know we know our other lineback- uh, linebacker from St. John. Okay, Keith, I'm cutting you off. Yeah, I apologize. Sorry, yeah. It's a good. I don't point. think he's not an FSP guy because he's a he's a Southern California. You know, they're like the big Washington uh, seven on seven mm-hmm. team. So I think he doesn't like going against them or something. <laughs> uh, Julian Julian Simon, I think, is a 
he, he, I think he did play safety, but he is such a versatile defender. I think that he's going to be able to bulk up and be a good linebacker for USC. But it is a good point. They did want to get a guy like Ethan Calvert and add him to the mix, but that was not a, they were not able to pull that off. So linebacker is a concern, especially with the injuries they've suffered there. If everyone comes back healthy, then you don't really feel like it's a position of need because now you got Solomon Tuli Alapupu finally healthy. Now you got Jordan ISFA next year. You know, Pallier Knights Diote is still, you know, potentially coming back. You know, doesn't necessarily look good, but that's a possibility. So, and you feel confident that Raylan Goforth and Kanai Malger are playing really well. So you feel like there's some depth there. Raymond Scott has, has added something to them in their blitz packages, but there is a big concern with the state, the health of those guys. You've seen almost all those guys be injured at one point or another in their career. So that is definitely a concern. Uh, the, the positive is that they have guys that are, that they can move around. Like Simon played safety in high school. Well, Talanola can come down and play in the box. Isaiah uh, Polamau played in the box some to, to offset what uh, UCLA was doing uh, last game. He also got blew up on a, on a, uh, a trap block and destroyed him on that one, unfortunately for him. But they have guys like, uh, you know, Zamarian Gordon and stuff. When they bulk up, they're going to be able to come down the box as well. So I think they have some pieces that they feel okay with. But yes, linebacker is a position, especially going forward, because you missed out on a guy like Justin Flo, who would be a centerpiece in your in the middle of your defense for four years so or three years. We have a Peristyle podcast legend. It's Curtis from Reno Valley. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. Hey guys, great show. How's everybody? Good. What's up, Curtis? <laughs> What's your question for the show? Are you just going to spread I, some positivity? Well, I wanted to prove a point. <laughs> um, Oregon was ranked 15 in the preseason poll. After three victories, when they were 3-0, and they were ranked number nine. If they would have won the two games that they lost, even if it wasn't impressive, they'd be very close to number four. A win is a win. I would disagree with you, Curtis. They would not be close to number four. They wouldn't beat Oregon State and Cal well, would not bump they, them up from nine to four. Like that would not be the case. But like, they'd be undefeated and they'd be up there. So I, I think I would agree with him because not near four. They'd be like the, six they'd or be seven. Five probably. I don't think they'd be five. Yeah. What, what has Texas A and M done? They have one win against Florida, who lost a shoe throwing contest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they won the shoe throwing contest, yeah. but they got penalized. Curtis, for it. USC is five and zero. Is a win a win? They're thirteen. Like no. I just think that because they started as high as they were, and the fact that they were at number nine, you know, they, if they win against those two teams, it's not going to jump them up the rankings, but they would move up as other teams fell. Yeah, they would have moved up. But they're not. I mean, they're not going to be like knocking on the playoff door. Like Whereas USC <laughs> was falling places while North Carolina lost and moved yeah. ahead of them. And Oregon pounded the crap out of Stanford, to, you know, to start the season. You know, and I think they had a big, you know, in the second game too. Um, you know, that matters. You know, we had, we hadn't seen USC do that. So thanks, Curtis, thanks, Curtis. for the call. Look at you live in person. Uh, and then we have Dave back to finish his question. Dave, what's up? Hey guys, I'm back. Uh, you know, I, uh, just saying, I got a new phone service. It's called uh, Let's Beat Oregon. But so, uh, right here, I just got two things to say. What do you guys think of uh, Oregon's offensive recruiting class this year, and how do you think our defense would ma- is going to match up in a couple years? And then two, what do you guys think of Brees Hall's statement from uh, Iowa State a couple weeks ago about five-star culture versus five-star talent? 
So on the quick on the Oregon front, um, this is probably their best. It was best recruiting class. It was very uh, focused. I haven't dove into it, but very focused on the offensive side of the ball. They got the two best offensive tackles uh, on the West Coast, and those are you know guys USC would be after. So it's uh, I think it's significant. It's not just like skill guys. You know they get a big quarterback in the in the class, but you know getting the two best tackles on the West Coast. That's where USC you know USC is position of need. They wanted to get a left tackle and. Uh, Oregon kind of took those guys away. Mm-hmm. Already, I'm going to go through really quickly. We have more uh, questions. Well, the the five star culture oh, versus yes. five star players. It, it all starts with your culture. You know, you can overcome a lot if everyone is bought in and you have 105 guys that are you know all going in the same direction, pointing in the same uh, path. Versus if people are going everywhere else. Um, Jesper Smith said, "Of the guys who signed today, who has a shot to come in and start immediately?" Hmm. That's a really tough one, actually. <laughs> I would say, say with last year, we didn't think that there was going to be any like impact players, but you know, like a Tuli Tui Pelotu, he got a start or two, right? Did he? Uh, yeah, he's, start? he's been starting for mm-hmm. USC. Um, so that's not bad. We didn't expect that. Uh, you know, we didn't expect Parker Lewis to come in and beat out two other scholarship Jim. kickers. Um, you know, we've seen some Gary Bryant, but same sort of thing. It's like there might be a guy or two that emerged, but th- there's no clear obvious okay this guy's going to come in and start i to, just from looking at the class i think you look at the safety position and if talano hufunga and isaiah Polmau leave or if one of them leaves uh can one of those guys come in um so yeah. you know beavers or you know um caleb bullock is is a ball hawk he's just all all the time around the ball and then when he gets the ball in his hands he makes things happen too so i could see him you know, we'll see how quickly he picks up the defense and those type things, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's a guy that we're seeing getting early playing time next year. Yeah. Jerry says, what are the chances that USC will finally stop the run, especially with an athletic quarterback on the other side? What are the chances that USC will run more yards than Oregon? I don't think they'll run for more yards than Oregon just because USC, I don't, I don't think yeah. they've done that all the season. Um, but the, the biggest thing is making Oregon more one-dimensional. So, you know, and, and even in the run game, making them more one-dimensional. So either taking away the quarterback or taking away the running back and, you know, forcing, forcing the scrambles. So last game they used some spy technique. It wasn't really talked about a lot on the broadcast or anything, but they used some spy technique to keep Dorian Thompson-Robinson in the pocket, forcing him to throw. But he threw really well. I, have to, I want to go back and, and apologize for what I said about Dorian Robin, Thompson-Robinson to Ryan last week, yes. Sunday, because after you know uh, going through the numbers and going through my charts and stuff, you know his throws over five yard or over three yards. So it take out all the screen passes, all that real quick stuff. You know he was at one point was fourteen of fifteen for two hundred eighteen yards, um, and that doesn't include the final drive where he was two for three. So you know he he did really well throwing the ball in this game. So I had to give him props uh, when I didn't initially give him some. Uh, Keith on Periscope wants uh, calling out for Hugo. He wants uh, Hugo to call in. <laughs> the bat signal for Hugo. Uh, it's, it's been lit. People say that there's a lot going on and it kind of matches yeah. our delirious mood. I did promise that on the last television that it was going to be delirious and we lived up to it. A couple more questions, Ryan. Yeah, well, real quick, on yeah. the, the, for the Oregon stuff, watch, you know, Oregon's not good at forcing the turnovers and Chuck has had a couple of bad interceptions and they turned the ball over against Oregon State and and Cal, so USC's been better at forcing the turnovers. And that's part of the reason why they've won some of those games. So we'll see. Um, you know, we've seen some spectacular interceptions. They might be able to get Chuck on one or two of those, and that would certainly help. They've really done a good job of confusing and you know attacking young quarterbacks. Chef obviously hasn't uh, played a ton for Oregon, 
So can they force him into some mistakes there too and, and take advantage of it? Like the Jaden Delora one where Talanoa drops back, you know, the, or the bad throw in a second interception. You know, there hasn't been a ton of just amazing plays by USC. They, it, it's been more of the mistakes being made on the other side and USC taking advantage of those. Yeah. Jerry, uh, no, sorry, wrong one. Uh, Jeff on Facebook says, who do you see taking the Arizona job? Uh, there's a lot of talk about uh, Ken, uh, the the Navy coach, was it New Tamalalola? I forget, I don't even know how to say his name. I think but that's the, a, somewhere close. To it's that. something close to that. Yeah, so that I've seen that one uh, quite a bit. People have talked about Sark. I don't know. There's a, there's a whole bunch of different names, but I think like and David Woods from our you know podcast of champions loves uh, you know they got you know you bring in like the Navy guy who's going to run this kind of triple option and or Arizona's not going to get the same kind of recruits that Ari even Arizona State's going to do. You want to have a different sort of system. So you run, maybe they run it like a, the military academy does, and uh, and and you you make other teams prepare for something different. They could get a bunch of good players to do that. So that that would be really interesting. They almost, I think they almost hired him a few years ago when yeah. they got Sumlin, but uh, Khalil Tate tweeted out like he didn't want to do that, so they didn't hire him. So it was kind of strange. Who was would have been really good in that system? Probably, I think he too. would have been. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So the, he he was. They were kicking the tires on him before. Another name to look out for is Brennan. I believe it is from San San Jose State. Okay. San Jose State has been playing really really well. Uh, I think they're undefeated, six and zero or something like that. So uh, his name is being popping up. And Sark's not going to go there. Sark will not take that low of a job. He will take a, a higher profile job before he takes that. We also had one. He's making two and a half million dollars as a coordinator, so he's doing fine. Uh, yeah. It's like ladder or something. I'm embarrassed to ask, but what does hashtag Boulevard Bound mean? BLVD Bound mean? So USC has, you know, is in conjunction with a studio that is producing all their videos, all their social media content and stuff. That is, um, you know, is all their branding is Boulevard Bound. So they're talking about how coming to LA and coming to Hollywood is coming to Hollywood Boulevard, basically. It's supposed to be. It's not yet because it hasn't happened yet. But it's supposed to be the anticipation of name, image, and likeness. It's supposed to be an in-house thing that helps players brand themselves and makes USC a, a place to go to where you can feel like you will be marketed at the school. And you see some of the videos they're bringing in. Now, a lot of people, you know, Ryan's age don't know who these people are, but like they're bringing in influencers and stuff that a lot of young people know. So the recruits that are seeing these guys on TikTok or seeing people on, uh, you know, Instagram or whatever, they're seeing these video people pop up in the videos and they know that hey if that guy retweets the video that i'm in that's going to bump my followers up that's going to help me become you know that much more of a you know a sellable commodity when name image likeness comes out mm -hmm. on facebook we had a question from tony who says do you guys and gal feel that our players are now developing meaning overcame the issues from the past Still i think you're seeing progression in, in especially in certain position groups you're seeing some, but there's still, you know, it seems that relying on the talent is is still a common theme too. So I, I think mean, it's getting a little better. I mean, you take advantage of your one-on-one -on -one matchups when you got Tyler Vaughn's and Amon Ross St. Brown, but your your DBs are playing terrific. Um, you know, your defensive line is playing great. Those are new coaches that have come in. You've seen them really improve. The offensive line is much maligned. And probably too much maligned, um, just because a lot of times it's scheme as much as it is just the personnel not making blocks and stuff. So, you know, I, I think that they're doing some positive things. They look much better than they did against Washington State when you don't have uh, two freshmen in there, you know, making their first appearances. 
Keith on uh, Periscope says he's 29 and has no idea who those people were, too. So don't just say it's people my age. Well, I just wanted to blame you, Ryan. Sure. <laughs> I'm 25. Point out I, that Ryan is old. Did you know who they were? Or? I did. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I even had a quote tweet. I had to look them up. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. You're in your 30s. so that, you know. I think it also just matters like what you watch and just yeah, different things. I don't watch influencers like Healy does. I don't. Okay, whatever. We're not getting into who those people are. Um <laughs> Anthony on YouTube says, if Steph can get going, will that turn the game around significantly? He also said, does Carr go into the portal? If so, no. But first question. No, I think it, if, if Stephen Carr oh, – is he talking about Steph? Oh, Marky Steph. Either one. I mean, either one of those guys has a big game. I think it's going to be important, like we said, because Oregon has a hard time, for whatever reason, uh, stopping the run. they got good players, but the teams that have had success, I think Oregon State ran for over 300 yards. Now, Jamar Jefferson is a stud. But if you get – you can have a studly – running back go for big yards so you get like a marquee step go for 150 yards on oregon and you're going to give yourself a really good shot to win that game and it'll just build on itself if you get a couple of nice carries some you know those chunk yard plays it, it builds instead of being like every time i touch the ball there's somebody at my feet trying to tackle me you know it it changes your uh you know your mentality as you're running and you know i think you saw that last week with vi you know once he started going it just felt like it kept rolling downhill Mm -hmm. We had a question from Coley White. It's interesting. Which will be more important in this game, time of possession or turnovers? Turnovers is always the answer. Yeah, I would say turnovers for sure because it's something that Oregon's not done as well and USC has the only, the only time that time of possession really matters is when you have a team that just completely sits on the ball. You know, you have a Stanford or kind of like Washington State did in the second half where you just don't get any possessions and it it makes you know each possession that much more important but if you got a back and forth matchup or just a normal pace you know turnovers always plays a role because you get a turnover and you get the ball at the 2 yard line your time of possession is not going to be much but your points might be uh Coley said what is your biggest concern about Oregon quarterback linebackers overall defense Ryan you can answer this I think my, mine are on the defensive side uh, is Jordan Scott in the middle can you block him and then open some running lanes on the offensive side is slowing the run down. If you can slow their run down and make them more one-dimensional, I think USC uh, should win this one easily. I think that's fair. It's just the problem is when USC's played like a pretty good quarterback, if, if, if Tyler Shuck, you know, if he can take off and pick up a few first downs with his legs, I think when we saw Arizona, Grant Cannell had like six first down runs in that game. If Shuck, in who's, the first half. In the first half, yeah. I mean, if Shuck gets some of those going too, I think that's going to be – the problem. If he's doing, if they're doing a good job of shutting him down, I think they have a, a good shot here. But uh, the, the opposing quarterbacks have been able to kind of hurt USC at times, so I, that's who I'd worry about. But also, you should note that in the second half they made adjustments and he had zero. Great right now, still six total is a lot. <laughs> Tommy Trojan says, uh, "Will Oregon mainly play man or zone?" The, everyone mixes it up, yeah. uh, but I think that they that they'll have to play more zone. That's the best way to attack this USC team. If they had all the defensive backs before the opt-outs, then maybe you play a man because that's the situation where Utah was in last last year. We really trust our guys. We got some NFL guys in this secondary. We can play the man-to-man. -man. They learned they couldn't, but um, that would be the mindset going into the game. But with the opt-outs they've had, I think they'll they'll sit back in some zone. They'll try to bring some different pressures. They've got to get pressure on Slovis, and Kayvon Thibodeau could be a big part of that. Yeah. Kevin says, will USC win over Oregon add value to their portfolio despite Oregon being ranked only in the top 25 early in the season and not now? Definitely adds value. Yeah. I mean, you're going to be the Pac-12 champion. I think that's you know, significant. It's just being 13, there's just not a shot to jump all the way up to four uh, by beating a three and two Oregon team. It's just that's, you know. 
that's going to be as Ralph Wiggum would say, that's impossible. So yeah, this, it's an extra data point, and like Ryan said, if they you know thirteen, there's no chance. But they were like nine, maybe that's striking distance or yeah. something. But with some chaos of yeah, yeah, you, exactly. yeah, you have to have chaos regardless. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Jeff on Facebook says, why doesn't SC run jet sweeps or reverses? They you know the touch the second touchdown to or third touchdown on Monroe St. Brown the first quarter was a pop pass, which is a version of the jet sweep. Um, it's interesting they haven't thrown any reverses in there. Graham Harrell, I think, just trusts his offense so much. They put in occasionally, they'll put in plays like a jet sweep or whatever, the toss to Gary Bryant. That was a new wrinkle. Yeah. Um, but sometimes those wrinkles don't work very well, like the toss to Gary Bryant. Other times they do, like the Amon Ross St. Brown. So they, they do some different wrinkles. They just don't do a lot of it. I think Graham Harrell really trusts his offense and just the, the system that they run. Yeah. Alrighty. It's time for game predictions. Ooh. The longest tunnel vision of the season, I believe, and yeah, probably the longest day we've had of the season. So uh, putting in the work today. Shadi, I'm starting with you. How do you think this one's going to go? I actually think that Oregon's <laughs> going to win this game. Wow. Really? Hello. I haven't picked against USC all season. I know. But I just think that the short week culmination – uh, now, how do you overcome that? That's the big question, and I think the emotion of the game and the energy that USC brings can overcome that. But just with how inconsistent they've been, I think that you know one play can swing this type of game, and I think Oregon makes one more play just because they've had time off. USC back-to-back short weeks, you, you end up having to play some younger guys more than you maybe want to. Uh, so I, I think that Oregon makes one more play. Interesting. Um, this is a three-point game the spread i think usc favored by three or something around there just a couple of points uh, i was i was on with john canzano today up in his radio station he does all throughout uh, oregon and does a great job covering the pac-12 for the oregonian and we were messaging and he's like he thinks he's like yeah oregon there's not there's not a lot of great leadership there they're kind of young i think usc is going to win handily i'm like wow okay um hmm. we talked about it. i think it's going to be a close one I, I i he asked me for a score i said it's going to be 38 36 usc so oregon goes for like two at some point um yeah i feel like i feel like it's going to be a close one but they're both teams are going to score some points um oregon can play down in the competition and so can usc but these are both pretty good teams and there's talent there so i feel like that you're going to see some some fireworks there are going to be some fun uh plays in this one so i think there'll be a bunch of points um, and it, but USC is going to squeak it out the end. So I think it's like a 38 36 uh, kind of game. Mm. I, I would like to point out from our preseason that I said that Oregon was definitely not a lock, and I picked Washington to be the Pac 12 North representative. Well, or to win, the Pac, to win the Pac 12 North because yeah. that's what they did rather than be the representative, which they aren't. Are you trying to make up for the fact that the chat is very mad at you for predicting an Oregon win? Someone says, I'm okay with it. I'm, I'm making my guess here. You know? It's true. Hey, you got to be objective. That's that's what we aim for. Um, I'm going to go for a close USC win, even though I think the luck is just thin. Yeah. It's thin. It's not sustainable, but I have to go with a, a tight USC win. Um, I, you know, football scores. I hate doing them. So there you go. That's what I'm going with. Um, and I actually have one more question because it was a good one. Uh, Omar wanted to know, uh, are you concerned at all with the fact that uh, Marlon Tupelotu, uh, has his impact has been wearing down recently? And that's, that's one of those things. Back-to-back short weeks, he played a ton of snaps. He barely came out of the game um, against UCLA. So I'm concerned there. On normal rest, I'm probably picking USC to win this game. But back-to-back short weeks, plus Oregon's had extra time to prepare. USC had to flip the switch preparation-wise. Those are things that I'm leery of in this game and why I'm picking Oregon. 
Interesting. Right. Okay. That's going to wrap it up. Ryan, we'll be back on Sunday, correct? After yeah. selection? Yeah, I think Sunday. we're going to do – so, yeah, the, we'll know the selection stuff. We'll know where USC is going bowling at the time. We probably will have some media availability that day too. But, you know, the Friday – it'll be a Friday game. We'll watch the rest of the Pac-12, you know, get some NFL action. If you're doing your fantasy playoffs, what do you got to do? And then Sunday night, we'll kind of cruise in here <laughs> and talk all here. about it, you know. Yeah, it'll be a fun show. Make sure you stay tuned for that, Shotgun. You look like you want to add something there. I'm just we're not coming in on Saturday night to talk about USC's Friday night game because we want to watch college football. There should it's be some true. great matchups. That Clemson Notre Dame game, mm-hmm. SEC championship, should be some really fun matchups this week. But it all starts Friday night at the Coliseum, baby. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Well I'm excited. Done. Let's go. He's the hype wow, man. he's hype. All righty. I'm, I'm on that adrenaline from not sleeping this week. So let's Apparently, go. Apparently, <laughs> I know you if anyone watches instant analysis, they'll see that as well. Alrighty, that's gonna wrap it up. That's shotgun. That's right. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all on Sunday. Bye. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.